Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the United States. Today is the 14th of May, 2020. Now, we've been talking about general endocrine systems in mammals, and we're going to continue with that right now. I was talking to you about some of the water-soluble hormones and, and peptides, as well as those that were derived from amino acids like tyrosine and tryptophan. And we're going to do a lot of detail about each of the major classes of hormones that are within the endocrine loop. But I want to go and do a general overview of the physiology of endocrinology and the endocrine hormone system so that we're on the same page with that. And that's exactly what we're going to start right now. So let me get started. So the endocrine system is a system of basically ductless glands, and they secrete hormones. Hormones, of course, we are calling messenger molecules, synthesized in one location and utilized in another. Therefore, they circulate in the blood. They act on distant target cells, and the target cells respond to the hormone for which they have receptors. So the effects are dependent on the program response of the target cells. And the hormones are basically like a molecular switch. Of course, we call them ligands, right? So in order for the receptor to be activated, the ligand hormone must bind, bind in a certain way that is sufficient for the downstream processing of that binding to result in whatever biochemical phenomena have to occur that ultimately relay a message to the cell that's been targeted. So there are some basic categories of these hormones, and we've talked about them, and we're going to be bringing it up generally now, again, because each lecture should stand on its own. They're amino acid-based. These are modified amino acids, these, this class of hormones, and so we can call them amines. Uh, sometimes you also get peptides. Of course, those are short. Uh, polypeptides are usually like a 10, maybe up to 20, 25 amino acids long with peptide bonds. And then you also have proteins that are basically polymers of amino acids, right? Well, again, with peptide bond. Now, I have lectured on protein chemistry and protein biochemistry, but it's been about a year and a half. So if I get any feedback on this, I'd be glad to go through protein biochemistry in a generic way. So Please contact me at djgphd at gmail.com if you'd like me to do some protein biochemistry um, in not too far down the road. Now, steroids are a, ne a next category of hormone. Of course, they're lipids, and they are derived from cholesterol. So cholesterol is a lipid of the prenal class. It's synthesized from isoprenoid pathway starting off in the mavalonic acid pathway. Now, isoprenoids are not acylipids, and so they are themselves not normally considered associated with creating the bilayer membrane. However, in mammals, cholesterol is intimately integrated into plasma membrane, particularly that's the plasma lemma, that which, which covers the outside of the cell. Now, there is some cholesterol in all the endomembranous systems as well. And if you want to look at it uh, simplistically, 
the if you go from inside the cell to outside, there is an increasing mole percent of cholesterol in the membrane. I'm not talking about derivatives of cholesterol. I'm talking about cholesterol itself. Okay. And by the time you get to the plasma membrane, it's about 50% cholesterol. And the rest, the other 50% mole percent of that lipid um, structure is going to be either phospholipid lipids or sphingolipids. You're not going to find free fatty acids. You're not going to find fatty acyl-CoAs. You're going to find preformed lipids either up with a glycerol backbone or a sphingosine backbone. And, and uh, then you're going to have a huge variety of head groups on the glycerol lipids. It's things like serine, um, choline, inositol. Uh, and then there's a whole class of galactolipids also, which comprise the glycerogalactolipid pathways. Now, it, where you get molecular differences in these lipids is when you start having to discuss which fatty acids are attached to the carbon one and carbon two as oxygen esters to that. Car- Remember, this is glycerol. So it's going to have three uh, hydroxyl groups, three alcohol groups to begin with. And so you're going to make an oxygen ester. You're going to make an ester between the alcohol and the acid, that carbonyl, right? It's going to be at the end of these fatty acids. And so the chain length of the fatty acids that are in the one and two position glycerol phospholipids, as well as a degree of unsaturation, how many double bonds that is, and then where those double bonds are. Okay, All three of those things can be then used to describe the different molecular component of a given class of membrane phospholipid. And so there's a great deal of heterogeneity there. And unlike proteins, which use only 20 amino acids, L-amino acids, more or less, uh, and of course, there are modifications of these amino acids. Sometimes you find, say, in transfer RNA or in ribosomal RNA proteins, you do find more than just the 20 classical amino acids. But pretty much most proteins are composed of just 20 amino acids. Uh, roughly uh, half of them are essential, the other half are not in, in humans. Now, in lipids, you only have maybe Oh, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 different possible fatty acids in a given system. And these differ again by chain length, all the way down to C4, C6, C8, all the way up to C22, C24. Um, but then you start discussing how each of those fatty acids can be desaturated. And they're desaturated by introducing these double bonds. And where those double bonds are found and their geometry, that is, a, uh, first of all, if they're cis or trans, and you do find trans fatty acids in membranes, and no, they're not dangerous or lethal. They're supposed to be there. If you've listened to some of my past lectures, I spent a lot of time on sphingolipids, and all sphingolipids have a trans fatty acid, uh, a palm- palmitic acid that has a trans double bond, right? So trans fatty acids are not unusual in the body. They are synthesized naturally. And when you consume trans fatty acids, they are not dangerous to the system. This is a myth that's in the literature. And I tried to spend a lot of time dispelling it. uh, And I've done this for the last 30 years as a lipid biochemistry professor. Um, There's plenty of literature that shows that trans fatty acids are metabolized 
pretty much the same way as unsaturated fatty acids are. Uh, and it, it's because you can migrate the double bond. When you migrate it, you can flip it from a trans to a cis. So uh, I can go through a full lecture like that. If I do, I'm, of course, going to do it on video so you can actually see how the double bonds can migrate during beta oxidation, for example, and that migration then results in a geometrical change. So they go from trans to cis, so there's really no problem with them. Uh, but at any rate, uh, this is how you end up with multiple molecular species of the phospholipids and the phospholipids because of the fatty acids that are attached to those lipids. They have, a, they have a different chain lengths. They have different degree of unsaturation. There's a number of double bonds. The position of the double bonds also matters, right? Uh, where that is from the carb carbonyl or carboxyl end of the fatty acid all the way to the methyl terminus. That's how you get discussions of omega-6 and omega-3 and omega-9 fatty acids. And I've talked about that many times before, and I will again. I will go through a classical fatty acid discussion, uh, nomenclature discussion, but not today. So what I want to tell you, though, is that lipids are far more complicated than proteins because of that difference in molecular class. Also, the polar head groups that can be associated with phosphoglycerol lipids, again, there's quite a, a huge assortment that can be utilized. And each of these different chemical structures are going to impart a different function of those lipids in the membrane or as signaling molecules or as energetic molecules or as any other component of the cell you can imagine, such as epigenetic factors and as covalent modifiers of proteins and nucleic acids affecting things like DNA recombination, DNA repair, DNA replication, also transcription, also translation, also post-translational modifications, trafficking of proteins and other macromolecules within the cell and outside the cell. Uh, like all the proteins that get secreted can also be mobilized by lipid rafts. So we've talked about this a lot in the last six weeks. I want you to keep in mind that lipids are far more complicated. So when I talk about steroids and steroidogenesis, and I talk about cholesterol and, and, and how it's the precursor to the three major classes of uh, steroid hormones, those being the mineral corticoids, the glucocorticoids, and the sex hormones, um, when I start talking about that, I'm going to probably devote two full one-hour lectures on at least at least that amount of time on those steroids. All right, now, let's talk about the endocrine glands. Purely endocrine glands include the following in the human body. The pituitary, the pineal, the thyroid, the parathyroid, and the adrenal. When the adrenal, you talk about two different subsets, the cortex and the medulla. <clears throat> Now, the pineal glands in this is in the uh, brain or in the head. The hypothalamus, of course, is also in the CNS. The pituitary gland is there. Thyroid gland is in uh, a part of the lower part of the neck. Parathyroid glands are associated there as well. The thymus gland is just below that. The adrenal glands are just above the kidney. Uh, the pancreas is associated with the, kid with the kidneys and with uh, and associated also closely with the liver. Then you have, of course, the ovary and the testes. Those are also all, um, those, are, those are part of the endocrine system. 
So you have the glands I just told you about, plus as total organs, the pancreas, the thymus, the gonads, and the hypothalamus. So what are the mechanisms of hormone release? There's humoral, neural, and hormonal. Humoral is in response to changing levels of ions or nutrients in the blood. Neural is, of course, a stimulation via the nervous system. And hormonal stimulation received from usually other hormones. So, for example, capillary blood contains low concentrations of calcium, which stimulates parathyroid glands and thyroid glands. The parathyroid glands are then going to produce PTH. The thyroid gland is going to produce also, because it's associated with parathyroid gland, more PTH. Okay? Then basically you're going to get a secretion of the parathyroid hormone. That's the PTH. You also get preganglionic sympathetic nervous system fiber, which stimulates the adrenal medulla cells. It's, of course, the CNS, the spinal cord. And you get this preganglionic sympathetic nervous system fiber, which is going to generate an impulse into the medulla of the adrenal gland. And it's going to then secrete catecholamines from the capillary that feeds that gland. So that could be a, 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 an example of a neural um, hormone release. Hypothalamus secretes hormones. And they stimulate the anterior pituitary gland to secrete hormones that stimulate other endocrine glands to secrete hormones. And we've talked about this. So you go with the hypothalamus to the pituitary gland, and you can go to the thyroid gland, the adrenal, and the gonads. Okay? We've talked about those axes before. So the three endocrine organs, the hypothalamus, pituitary, also known as the hypophysis, and the pineal. Hypothalamus, again, is lo localized in central region of the central nervous system. Pituitary is right below that, or the hypothesis. So it's important for you to understand that a lot of the signaling that goes on, of course, goes to the central nervous system. This is something that Rene Descartes uh, was the first person to hypothesize. Pituitary sits then in what's known as the hypophysial fossa, which is a depression in the cella, tersica of the sphenoid bone. And the pituitary secretes nine total hormones. Okay. First four are tropic hormones. That means they regulate the function of other ones. They are ones we've talked about already. TSH, ACTH, FSH, and LH. I'm not going to go through what each of those uh, acronyms stand for, but I'm sure you remember. And if you don't remember, you can easily look them up. So the anterior pituitary or the adenohypophysis is also going to generate growth hormone, the PRL and MSH. Again, we've talked about these hormones before. The posterior pituitary is going to also secrete two more hormones, antidiuretic hormone, also known as vasopressin, and oxytocin. So... I don't know, maybe I should go ahead and give you the abbreviations because if you don't have them uh, in your mind, then it might be difficult for you to, to remember this. TSH, of course, is the thyroid-stimulating hormone. ACTH is the adrenocorticotropic hormone. FSH is the follicle-stimulating hormone. Uh, LH is luteinizing. G is for growth hormone. PRL is, of course, prolactin. 
and the MSH, we talked about quite a bit. We talked about the pro-opio-melanocortin uh, pre-protein complex. MSH is the melanocyte stimulating hormone. ADH, of course, is the antidiuretic. I already told you, and oxytocin normally we do not abbreviate, although sometimes you see it abbreviated as OXY. So the hypothalamus controls the anterior pituitary hormone release. So the releasing hormones are releasing factors are secreted like neurotransmitters from the neuronal axons into capillaries and veins to the anterior pituitary. This is known also as the adenohypophysis. And so because these are involved in the release of other hormones, they're called releasing hormones. So you have TRH, which turns on TSH, CRH, which turns on ACTH, GNRH, which turns on FSH and LH, gene for gonadotropin, PRF, which turns on PRL, the prolactin, and GHRH, which turns on growth hormone. Okay. So GHRH, for example, growth hormone releasing hormone, right? Of course. Now, inhibiting hormones are things that turn off. So the PIF turns off prolactin, and then the GHIH, the growth hormone inhibiting hormone, turns off growth hormone. Okay. You always have a feedback stimulating regulation. So again, releasing hormones, releasing factors of the hypothalamus are secreted like these neurotransmitters. The inhibiting hormones work the other way. The hypothalamus controls secretion of hormones, which in their turn control the secretion of hormones by the thyroid, the adrenal cortex, and of course the gonads. In that way, the brain controls all of that downstream endocrine glandular system. Okay? So what do the pituitary hormones do? Well, there are four tropic ones, and they regulate the function of the others. TSH stimulates the thyroid to produce thyroid hormone. ACTH stimulates the adrenal cortex to produce corticosteroids, like aldosterone and cortisol. Cortisol, remember, is anti-inflammatory, right? FSH stimulates follicle growth and ovarian estrogen production. It also stimulates sperm production and androgen binding protein. Um, LH, luteinizing hormone, has a role in ovulation and the growth of the corpus luteum, of course. It stimulates androgen secretion as well by interstitial cells in the testes. What about the other uh, hormone systems in the interior pituitary? GH, which used to be called somatotropic hormone, stimulates the growth of skeletal epiphyseal plates and body to synthesize protein. PRL stimulates mammary glands in the breast to make milk. And of course, MHH stimulates melanocytes uh, and it also may have, have something to do with mental alertness. It's been shown in some publications. From the posterior pituitary, remember that's also known as the neurohypophysis, which again, it's, this is structurally part of the CNS. It's part of the human brain. The ADH, or the antidiuretic hormone, again, also known as vasopressin, stimulates the kidney to reclaim more water, right? from the urine, and therefore it raises blood pressure. Oxytocin prompts contraction of smooth muscle in the reproductive tract. 
and females, it initiates labor and the ejection of milk from the breast during lactation. All right. So, also feedback loops, okay? So, a certain item in the blood decreases, okay? And then a particular example would be like thyroid hormone. Certain area of the brain senses the decrease, the hypothalamus. Certain hormone is released, TRF, okay? That's thyroxine releasing factor, right? This hormone stimulates the release of another hormone, that's TSH. That's thyroxine stimulating hormone, and that's in the anterior pituitary. Then this other hormone stimulates the release of the final hormone, which was sensed to be decreased in the first place, which was the thyroxine, right? Because remember, it, was, it started off being decrease in serum. That sense to be decreased in the first place, causing it to be increased to desired levels. So thyroxine from the thyroid, TSH, has caused cleavage of the thyroglobulin into thyroxine. So that, that gives you a good flow diagram of one particular feedback loop. Now, what are some of the effects of thyroid hormone or thyroxine? Increases the basal metabolic rate. And of course, that's the rate at which the body uses oxygen to transform nutrients that particularly fatty acids, carbohydrates, and also amino acids into energy form of ATP. It affects many target cells throughout the body, and some effects are, of course, protein synthesis, bone growth, neuronal maturation, and dendritic formation, and cell differentiation. So what about another hormone? What about calcitonin? That's secreted from the thyroid parafollicular cells when blood calcium levels are high. Calcitonin lowers the calcium ion concentration by slowing the calcium-releasing activity of osteoclasts in the bone and increasing calcium secretion by the kidney. And it acts mostly during childhood, calcitonin does. So the parathyroid glands, most people have four of these. It's on the posterior surface of the thyroid gland. Sometimes they're embedded, so the anatomy can be somewhat variable, but you know, within, within margins. So the parathyroid has two types of cells. There's the rarer sheet cells, and then there are the abundant oxyphil cells. And that the function of the oxyphil cells is not quite clear, but it probably has something to do with removing reactive oxygen. Chief cells produce PTH, parathyroid hormone or parathormone, the old name for it, and a small protein, which is basically a small protein hormone. Okay. So what's the function of PTH then? Parathyroid hormone or parathormone? Thormone, got it, increases blood calcium concentration when it gets too low. And what's the mechanism of raising that blood calcium? It stimulates osteoclast to release more calcium from the bone. It decreases secretion of calcium by the kidney. It activates vitamin D, which is also in cholesterol, by the way, which stimulates the uptake of calcium from the intestine. And unwitting removal during thyroidectomy 
actually would be lethal. Has the opposite effects in calcium as calcitonin would, which would of course lower the calcium level. So you have the adrenal or suprarenal glands. Adrenal means supra, that means above the kidney. Suprarenal, renal is associated with kidney. Okay. Or you can also think of it as the top part of the kidney. There's actually two endocrine glands, the adrenal cortex, which is the outer portion of it, and the adrenal medulla, which is the inner. And there are series of zones that you can find in these, uh, in, within the cortex and the medulla. Right. And we, 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 we have talked about these already. So the adrenal cortex secretes the lipid steroid hormones, and those are called corticosteroids because cortico stands for cortex, yes. So those are the mineral corticoids, aldosterone is the major one, and the glucocorticoids, and cortisol or hydrocortisone is the major one. Adrenal medulla secretes epinephrine and norepinephrine. Okay. Aldosterone is of course the main mineral corticoid, it's secreted also from the adrenal cortex in response to a decline in either blood volume or blood pressure. For example, when there's a severe hemorrhage, uh, it's the terminal hormone in the renin-angiotensin mechanism, prompts, uh, which, which we have not talked about in probably uh, two years, but I can go back and I can explain that as well, prompts distal and collecting tubules in the kidney to reabsorb more sodium. So water passively follows that gradient of sodium and blood volume therefore increases, okay? Thus regulating blood pressure. Cortisol itself is probably the most, in humans, the most important glucocorticoid. Glucocorticoid receptors are found in many cells in the vertebrate system. Cortisol is absolutely essential for the human life helps the body deal with stressful situations within uh, a minute or two. So what kind of stress is physical, like trauma, uh, any kind of surgery, or any kind of massive exercise, cortisol is necessary. Psychological, uh, cortisol seems to uh, ameliorate anxiety, depression, and even people who are um, anxious or depressed or concerned overcrowding crowded spaces. Physiologically, cortisol is related to mechanisms involved in fasting, hypoglycemia, uh, fever, and indeed in the inflammatory infection response. So cortisol regulation supports a variety of important cardiovascular, metabolic, immunological, and homeostatic functions, including uh, last but not least, although I've already talked about it, water balance. So people with an adrenal insufficiency, which does occur, can cause hypotension, shock, and even death. So you have to give glucocorticoids, for example, for surgery, or if you have an infection like, or you have sepsis. I'm going to stop here. And we're going to continue on with this discussion of general endocrine systems. And then we're going to get back with our videos and talk about specific publications dealing with this grand uh, mechanistic control over metabolism and gene expression as exerted by the endocrine system.
particularly some of the hormones we've been talking about. And I'm going to put a special emphasis on steroids. So this is Dr. Dan Guerra signing off now from Authentic Biochemistry, saying bye for now. <laughs>